Joseph could look back and say the best thing that happened to him was that his brothers put him in a, in a well. In the midst of his crisis, he could not understand, but he had faith. God is in control. God has a purpose. God has a plan. God has a destiny for your life. Welcome to Moody Presents with Dr. Mark Job, president of the Moody Bible Institute. I'm John Geiger asking, what do we do with bad news in life? And we all have plenty of that, right? Well, how did Joseph react to the bad news that continually came his way? These are the real-life questions we're digging into in our study of Joseph. Today's message, Squeezing Good Out of a Dream Gone Bad, is based in Genesis 50. We're about to discover that when you interpret life experiences through the lens of faith, well, good things happen. Here's Pastor Mark. I heard that there is a town in Alabama, a town called Enterprise. Enterprise, Alabama, that there's a very unusual monument in the center of the town. There's an insect called the boll weevil. And in the center of town, there's a monument to an insect called the boll weevil. That's kind of a strange thing to make a monument to an insect, isn't it? But here's the history. You see, the farmers in southern Alabama were accustomed to planting one crop every year, and that crop was cotton. So year in and year out, they would plow the ground, and they would plant as much cotton as they could. Well, one year, the dreaded boll weevil devastated the whole area. So the next year, the farmers mortgaged off their homes and they planted cotton again. And the insect came back and destroyed the whole crop, wiping out almost everything they had. Those few farmers that survived the two years of the boll weevil decided to experiment the third year. So instead of planting cotton that third year, they came up with a hardier plant called peanuts. Well, peanuts proved to be so hardy and the market proved to be so ravenous for that product that the farmers who survived the first two years reaped profits that third year that enabled them to pay off all their debts. They planted peanuts from then on and prospered greatly. The inscription on the monument reads this, in profound appreciation of the boll weevil on what it has done To herald the prosperity, this monument is erected by the citizens of enterprise. I guess the point I'm making is that some of us have bull weevils in our life right now. You have some insect, maybe your marriage, it may be your finances, it may be your health, it may be depression, that's eaten away at a lot of your life and you look at it and say, this is really, really bad. But what you don't understand is that God is about to bring something good out of that that's really, really bad. In fact, he's got a purpose. He's got a plan. And some of you in the future, some of you will look back and look at your year of addiction and say the best thing that could ever happen to me that back then was when I was so broken by my addiction that I had to turn to God. 
Some of you will look back and say, the best thing that could have happened to me when I was halfway suicidal because my boyfriend or my girlfriend broke up with me and I couldn't understand what was up or what was down, where life was going, and look what God did through it. You see, God has a purpose and God has a plan. Joseph could look back and say the best thing that happened to him was that his brothers put him in a, in a well and sold him into slavery because it was that very experience that would ultimately lead him to be the prime minister of Egypt. In the midst of his crisis, he could not understand, but he had faith. God is in control. God has a purpose. God has a plan. God has a destiny for your life. And even though people may intend to harm you, God can take what people intend to harm you with and actually turn it and squeeze good out of it. Thirdly, I'm talking about what you learn through your bad experience when you see it through the lens of faith. Thirdly, you will learn That to repay those who have wronged you, not only with forgiveness, oh, this is a hard one, but with blessing. Notice what Joseph says to his brothers. He says, so don't be afraid. I will provide for you and for your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. I know some of you have struggled through forgiveness, someone that's really, really hurt you or betrayed you. And it's very hard to forgive. And you say, well, pastor, I just struggled through forgiveness and finally released him and said, okay, God, I forgive him. And now you're telling me that it's not just good enough to forgive him, now you want me to bless him? You see, what forgiveness does when you forgive someone is you clear away their debt. But what blessing does, is when you bless them, you actually pray God's favor upon their life. Now some of you have forgiven, but to go to the next step and actually pray that God would bless the person that's hurt you, you start to pray and you just like can't get it out. But I want you to notice that Joseph said, not only did he forgive him, but Joseph said, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to provide for you even though you've been hard to me and I'm going to provide for your children. It reminds me what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 27 and 28. He said, but I tell you, hear me. When Jesus says, hear me, it means you got to listen up. Hear me. Love your enemies. What? Do good to those who hate you. What? Bless those who curse you. What? Pray for those who mistreat you. I call it the boomerang. You see, here's what I believe. I believe the more you bless, the more it comes back to you. And the harder it is, the more it blesses you. See, it's easy to bless those who bless us, right? Someone says, you know, you've been on my mind. I want to give you a gift. I want to help you out. And you say, oh, bless you. Oh, that's easy. It's always easy to bless those who help us and who bless us. But it's very hard to bless those who have done bad to us. 
And I call it the boomerang because when you throw the boomerang of blessing to those that are cursing you, it goes around. What does a boomerang do? It always comes back to you. And you say, okay, I'm getting rid of this blessing. This is very hard. Bless you. Boom, it comes back and there's more blessing in your life. And let me tell you, the harder it is to throw that boomerang, the more blessing comes back to you. And this is what the Word of God says. That's why Jesus taught us to bless our enemies, because when you throw blessing at them, that blessing comes back to you. Even if they curse you. The Bible says if you're cursed for my sake, that curse, before it hits you, turns into a blessing on your side. So one of the hardest things that you'll ever do is not only just forgive someone, but when you get to the point where you could say, God, this person hurt me, this person did me wrong, but I am praying right now that you would bless them. I am praying that your hand would be upon them, that your favor would be upon them, that your presence would be real in their life, that you would allow them to prosper as they give themselves over to you. I pray blessing upon their life. There is a release that happens when you do that. Joseph did that with his brothers. The power of blessing. And then lastly, number four, the last lesson you learn when you look at your past experiences through the lens of faith is this. You will learn that your life is a piece of the puzzle that can affect the destiny of future generations. You see, a lot of us happen to think that our life is an island. But I want to tell you, your life is not an island. Your life is much more like a domino. Have you ever played the game where you set up a long line of dominoes, one after another? And then finally, when it's all set up, you hit the one domino, and they go, and they all affect each other. Have you ever, am I the only one that's done that? Okay, just making sure. Your life is sort of like that. You may think, you know, my choices right now don't affect a lot of people. It's just about me. And I want to say, no, that's a lie. Because you are affected by the people that came before you. And you affect the people that come after you and the people that are around you. Every life here is a domino. We either splash blessing or we splash curses. You are either a positive influence or a negative influence. You are part of the piece of the puzzle that can affect the generations that come after you. In fact, let me, I want you to hear me well. Some of you, your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your great-great-grandchildren, the job that they choose, the people that they marry, the church that they worship at, the faith that they have, will be able to be traced directly back to decisions that you make today. Wow. That should make you think once or twice. Food for Thought here on Moody Presents with Pastor Mark Job. A.W. Tozer once observed, The great of the kingdom have been those who loved God more than others did. Simple but profound, right? Let me share that again. The great of the kingdom have been those who loved God more than others did. This is the kind of powerful, profound insight that you'll enjoy in the pages of The Pursuit of God. You can find a copy online at moodypresents.org. That's moodypresents.org. All the way at the top of our page, click the link to Moody Publishers. Your life 
is a piece of the puzzle that could affect future generations. That's the thought we begin with in part two of today's message. Here again is Pastor Mark. And I want you to illustrate this because I want you to understand that Jacob died. The Bible tells us Jacob was about 130 years old. That's pretty old. Joseph continued to live on, and when Joseph was about 110 years old, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 50, verse 24 to 25, then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land that he has promised on oath to Abraham. You know who Abraham was? Okay, let's, let's start easier. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who was Jacob? His father. Who was Isaac? His grandfather. Who was Abraham? His great-grandfather. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear by an oath, when God comes to your aid, then you must carry my bones up from this place. Now, why, did, why was Joseph so worried about his bones? Come on. You're dead. Who cares where you're buried? This place, that place, cremated ashes, whatever. Joseph was concerned about his bones because Joseph's bones were symbolic of the dream that his great-grandfather had had. You see, God had spoken to Abraham, his great-grandfather, and God had said to him, I will make you into a great nation, and I will give you this land, the promised land, the land of Cana. Joseph was not in that land. He was in the land of Egypt. God had spoken to Isaac and said the same thing. He had given him a dream that was going to pass down. God had spoken to Jacob and had a vision and said, I will give you this land. Well, now Joseph was in Egypt, but Joseph knew that he had a destiny, that God had a plan, that his bones were to be carried out because he believed in the dream that God had given him, that his eyes would not see, but he believed that his future generation would be blessed by that dream. And so he died. Now, of course, he was in Egypt, and the Pharaoh gave him a big funeral, it says. And what did the Egyptians do? You can go to the uh, Museum of Science and Industry, and you'll see what? Or the Field Museum. You'll see mummies. Because the Egyptian would mummify the bodies of those that had died, And so Joseph was mummified and buried underground, but given a tomb in Egypt. And there his tomb was, and Joseph had said, when God visits you, he will take you out of this land and give you new land. Ten years passed, and he was still buried. Thirty years passed, he was still buried in Egypt. His brothers died. But his children remember. Seventy years passed, he was still in Egypt. A hundred years passed, and he still remembered. Now his kids were dead, but his grandkids remembered. A hundred and fifty years passed, and he's still in Egypt. Two hundred years passed, and his grandkids are dead, but his great-grandkids, they remember. 
250 years pass, 300 years pass. Just to give you a little bit of an idea, I mean, this nation, I mean, how old is America? How old is it since, since the Westerns discovered America? Under 300 years, right? 300 years pass. He's still in Egypt. 400 years have gone by now. The people of Israel have gone from 75 people, a little straggly tribe, to now they are 1.5 million people. They're slaves now, though. They're abused. They're mistreated. They're brutalized by the Egyptians. But they haven't forgotten the dream. They visit the tomb 400 years and they say, this is Joseph who brought us to this land. He had a dream. He had a vision. His dream and vision was that one day we will leave this land and take us to a land that God has promised us. But they were brutalized, mistreated, oppressed. Some said it was just a fantasy, it'll never happen. Some said that's just a bunch of legendary talk, a babble from some old man that died has nothing to do with this. But others, they believed the dream. They talked about it. Grandmothers passed it down to their kids and said one day there'll be a promised land because God gave us a dream. 400 and so years later, there was a little baby born in the midst of a very turbulent situation where the Pharaoh was killing all of the male children born to the Hebrews because they were getting too strong. This little baby, they named him Moses the Deliverer. Moses grew up and when he was about 40 years old, he knew that God was calling them to liberate. He had heard the stories of Joseph and so he tried to do it on his own and he botched it all up. And so he ran to the desert, became a shepherd. 40 years later, he's an old man, he's a shepherd, and he has a burning bush experience. He goes back to Egypt, and through a series of plagues, finally, Pharaoh says, enough. This 1.5 million people, take them. And you know what the first thing that Moses does? He goes to the bones. The bones of Joseph, reminded by the Spirit, empowered by the dream, 400 years earlier. And the Bible says that he took the bones of Joseph and he traveled with them because he knew that God had a destiny, that God had a plan, that God had a purpose that God had given a dream years before, and that dream was not fulfilled, but that dream was coming. Listen what it tells us. In Exodus chapter 13, verse 19, it said, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. Joseph had made sons of Israel swear on an oath. He said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. Moses took the bones of Joseph as the people traveled around. The bone people, kids would say, Mom, what's that? It's Joseph's bones. Can I peek? Get out of there, son. It's Joseph's bones. Mom, why are we carrying some dead guy with us? Because there's a place, a promised land. There's a dream. They traveled through the desert, and many of you know the story. They disobeyed God. Moses went 40 years in the desert. He died. 
uh-oh, maybe they're going to forget it. No, Joshua took up the bones. And those bones traveled with Joshua. And then finally the day came when Joshua crossed the Jordan. And his very first battle was the battle of Jericho. Now Jericho is in the land of Cana. It's in the promised land. And they overcame Jericho. And they overcame the next city and the next city and the next city. And when they had conquered the promised land, Joshua died. And Joseph's bones were still there. And I want you to hear what it says in Joshua chapter 24, verse 32. And it says, And Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought from Egypt, were buried at Shechem, in the track of land that Jacob bought for a hundred pieces of silver from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. This became, oh, listen to this word, listen. This became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants. Now close to 500 years later, Joseph is still affected and influencing the generations after him. In fact, now his dream has become part of their inheritance, their blessing of his descendants. The power of a dream, a God-given dream, A God-initiated dream. You see, my desire is that none of you go to the grave with dreams that you haven't birthed and fulfilled, with plans and purposes that you haven't lived out. You see, my dream is that you go to your grave empty. And by empty, I mean that you've lived out every purpose and plan that God had through your life. That, Like Paul said, I've poured myself out. There's nothing left for me to do. Everything that God has put on my heart, I've done. Walk through a cemetery someday and ask yourself, how many unfulfilled dreams are here because people were afraid or people doubted? Or people didn't pursue. How many unwrapped gifts were here? How many unpreached sermons? How many unstarted businesses? How many undeveloped generations are here because people did not live out what God had called them to live out? How many unwrapped gifts? How many talents? How many Bible studies that were never led? How many homes that were never started? How many sermons that were never preached? How many communities that weren't influenced? Because somewhere the dream died because someone stopped believing. And sat back on their couch. Dripped a little more Dunkin' Donuts coffee on their stained t-shirt. And said, I'm going to watch reruns of I Love Lucy. There are dreams and visions and gifts. In this auditorium, there are thousands of people to be influenced and touched. In this auditorium, there's children and grandchildren 
There's marriages and destinies. There's leaders and communities to be touched. In this auditorium, there's dreams that God has given that he wants to unwrap and bring, bring out. In this auditorium, it's full of God-given stuff. It's full of it. And God is saying, take the step, take the step, take the step. Unwrap it, believe it, pursue it. He's stirring it up by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's calling it into being. What caused Joseph to stay on course was Joseph believed. He had faith. Powerful teaching from Dr. Mark Job. Hey, thanks for joining us today on Moody Presents. You know, you may not realize it, but it takes supporters like you to keep this teaching coming your way. And a Moody Presents partner is someone who supports us monthly. You decide the amount, but your monthly gifts actually empower us to create this program. Think of the expenses that we face. Equipment, computers and software, salaries, insurance, and more. Well, your gift helps pay for that long list of stuff. And more than that, you're actually helping us bring this great Bible teaching to people all across the nation. Now, you can become a Moody Presents partner right now when you head online to moodypresents.org. That's moodypresents.org. There's a green Donate Now button. You can't miss it right there, moodypresents.org. And if you choose to give at a level of $30 a month or more, you'll get a 50% discount off the entire line of Moody Publishers books, Bible studies, biographies, kids' books, DVDs. Think of it, half off on all that. And that discount remains in effect as long as you choose to be a Moody Presents partner. So why not head to our website right now and give that Donate Now button a click. And while you're there, explore other options that will let you listen to all of our past programs, all at moodypresents.org. I'm John Geiger. Moody Presents is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Thanks for listening.